Well, hello and welcome to episode number 417 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's pack show, one airline is brushing the dust off its A380s, one airline loses some luggage, and this time it's not Nev's, and also one airline is having bunk beds just for fun. And in this week's show, we are all back together. Team, assemble! <laughs> and joining me over in the PTUK Master Suite Studios this week, it is, of course, Matt Smith. Well, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are we all? How are we all? Or should I call you Cough? <laughs> all right. Come on. It's, you know, <laughs> I'm doing my best. I turned up. That's the main thing. <laughs> Honestly, last week, last week, you were so ill, bless you, last week. <laughs> I think how, the, how are you feeling? Yes, yes, I'm not too bad. Ironically, I, I felt all right last week, to be honest with you. It's just that the voice and everything at all got... Unfortunately, poor Mama Smith has got it now, though. Oh, so we're, having, so we're, we're, right. yeah, we're just keeping half an eye. A little bit worried about her, bless her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's doing all right. She's doing all right. She's, she's, a, she's a tough old bird. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I think the the thing for me was when because um, you, you and Gemma quite often tune in on a Sunday morning, don't you? And it was. I think I think it was the the messages from say was it the message I got from you that said hello is Nigel covering you today or something like that? I I honestly I genuinely this is honest God's truth. Me and Gemma both sat in the kitchen and said, "Where's Matt today?" And and Gemma said, "That's not Matt." And I said, "No, it's not. It's Nigel." No, no, it was me. <laughs> and it was you. Yeah, you yeah, were yeah. that. You sounded that bunged up. Yeah, I know. You sounded like a completely different human. Yeah. I mean, if if you you know if you can wake anybody up at five o'clock in the morning. I mean, at one point we were negotiating to get producer John to do the show for me because that's how bad oh. it was because I couldn't wake anyone else up. <laughs> Honestly, I've but never anyway. never heard anyone sit ill in my life. Yeah. Anyway, we got through. It. Anyway, you're here yeah. now. I am. Yes, good. absolutely. That's like good. nothing ever happened. Good. Moving on. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> get, get some uh, get some gin into you. You'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, joining us this week, he's back after. Uh, his travels it is of course the king of tech the king of av and the king of va it's neville bounds oh yes we had some stories to tell later on in the show definitely about uh, the traveling business but uh, no great to be back had a nice week in portugal with mrs nev um and um i went and bought some uh, apple air tags for Ooh. reasons which will become obvious <laughs> Uh, in about 20 minutes' time. Lovely. <laughs> okay. But yeah. uh, great to be back on the show. And uh, I've also got some uh, hay fever weirdness going on as well. So I've got a bit of an unusual voice as well tonight. But uh, anyway, let's see how we get on. And uh, we will. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll, you'll be healthy for Sunday, Nev. More info on that later on for the listeners. But um, hopefully you'll be well Sunday. And you, you uh, know the show is published on Sunday, right? I know. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> If you're listening to this on Sunday, me and Never at Seething. Right. Anyway, okay. anyway, he honestly, it's it's a star-studded show this week. Honestly, this is so nice for me to be out to say this uh, after so many weeks. But he's actually back with us. He's back. Our fourth member of the team. It gives me great pleasure to welcome back to the show, Armando. Thanks, Carlos. Uh, preemptive apologies for all of my audio quality over the last couple of weeks because most of those most of those videos were produced or audio segments were produced me thinking that I was gonna be on the show and then about two hours prior to the show getting a, a text from dispatch saying hey you better start heading towards the airplane 
Oh, no. Um, so most of them were recorded from an FBO somewhere or even in the back of the airplane just on a on a regular old iPhone with no microphones or anything like that. But um, always glad to be back here live. It's been a busy couple of weeks, like you said, Carlos. And I'm sorry, who who, who are you again? Sorry, just remind me. <laughs> guest, guest host. Guest host, excellent. That's what we need. We do love a guest host. Yeah. Oh, it's great to have you back. I mean, and like you said, you've been you've been doing an absolute shed ton of flying. Oh, I did not over the first few. Probably not what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, everything nipped up there for a minute. I thought you would. I haven't had a beer, so I'm fine. Oh, very um, good. I've but, had whiskey. Uh, what could possibly go wrong there? Hopefully you can fill us in on some of the, uh, the details later on, Armando, about uh, all the exciting trips you've been up to. Mm. Well, to be honest, it's not that exciting. It's just a lot of flying. The The highlight was um, last week, Meg and I got an exclusive use. This is this is what happens in corporate when you're flying for private owners of the Pilatus. And we took the Pilatus up to upstate New York for a couple of days. Oh. Uh, all right. What as, a, as you what a crazy opportunity. <laughs> but that we did take amazing. the airplane up. Yeah, we, we flew up to Syracuse and, and stayed in the uh, Inns of Aurora on the Finger Lakes of New York. And it was beautiful for four days. Came back uh, on my birthday. So that was... Uh, uh, John- no, everything was paid for by the owner of the aircraft, including hotels, lodging, oh and... Does he, does he know that yet? Yeah. <laughs> The, invo- the invoice has been sent. It's the Ex- first? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the invoice was sent about two hours ago. <laughs> wow. But it is why, Nev, Armando was running that PC-12 all the way there, not leaned. Uh, no, yeah. it was no, indeed. Full. <laughs> Going for full volume. Absolutely. And if you do follow Armando on social media, by the way, there's some absolutely stunning pictures on there. So oh, if you my word. Doing so, make sure you do. It looked like an absolutely, it, honestly, it looked like a fancy castle. It really did. I find out what you said. Well, that's because I put a a fancy woman in front of it. Oh, you see what you... Oh, stop it, please. Oh. Oh, Sorry. She's in the background (laughs) listening. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's good to have all the team back again. When was the last time... I'm going to ask John... You're going to ask John that, because we've also got John tonight as well, which is also a bit of a rare thing as well. When was the last time we were all together in one hit, all of us? 1926. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's got to be last year, I feel. <laughs> I'm sure we've do. Yeah, I'm sure we've done one like so. Anyway, the 400th? <laughs> 412, we think. But anyway, more research uh, will be done on that. It doesn't seem like very many shows ago. Uh, are you sure about that? Anyway. Seems like an age ago. Yeah, yeah. anyway. Uh, John can look anyway. that up while we move on. <laughs> Anyway, uh, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? It's the uh, start, top of the show, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, we're only seven minutes in, Carlos. I know, and it's uh, Patreon time. Uh, oh, is it? Uh, Patreon oh. beginning of the month, and it's obviously the beginning of the month, and it's when we say a special thank you uh, to everyone who has very kindly donated to the show this month. So, Nev. Over to you. Yeah, thanks very much indeed to everybody uh, who's donated on Patreon. Uh, Alex Robinson, Dirk S, Sasha Beer, Stephen Ivey, Nicholas Codling, uh, Louis Casares, uh, Alan White, Stephen Howland, Tanya Wyman, Megan Carrion, Jacob Darlington-Brown, Nicholas Hewitt, Masha, Owen, Reuben Wells, Neil Lanwarn, Graham Haley, Jonathan Warner, Eric Graves, Jordan Rose, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Adam Spink, Liz Piper, Jeff Ward, Jenny Parkinson, Evan Shue, 
Philip Labe, Stuart Backer, Ray Williams and Stephanie Plummer. And for those who have used the PayPal method, that's uh, Craig Urosoko, uh, Masus Karim, uh, Richard Adams and Tony Stubbing. So thank you very much to all of you. Your contributions are greatly received. And that's the other reason why we look forward to the, the first day of the month as well. Mm. So thank you one and all. Yeah, and uh, it's important because uh, this Sunday, as we said, uh, me and Nev are off to seething and hoping to, we're hoping to get some great content. We've got a couple of bits that have been lined up for us uh, by some of the members there, which I think, Nev, is, is going to be some uh, very interesting um, chat had this Yeah, Sunday. I think so. So we're going to do some video and audio for you all, Ooh. and uh, we'll be featuring that over the next couple of weeks as well. Yes. So we're going to say a hello to everyone in the chat room that's joined us this evening, along with the bots who I've just uh, successfully um, oh, banned and removed. I've reported them for various things. You'll be mm-hmm. pleased to know. Uh, and uh, let's say hello to Captain Cruz, uh, GB's Model Zone, Richard Adams, Mazus. Hello to you. Uh, Alan White, uh, Alex Robinson. Hello. Pilot Logan Lynch. Hello to you, Lee Davies. Um, he's a bit concerned that I've not got a beer. I will rectify that very <laughs> soon. Uh, John Clada is also in there. Hello to you, John. Flyer152, hello to you as well. And let me scroll down. Richard Adams, our main man, Micah, is also in there. GB's Model Zone. Uh, Matt C, hello to you, Matt. Uh, Alan White, just make sure I don't miss anyone else. Rakon, hello to you as well. Graham Haley, hello, Graham. Good My to goodness. see you in there. This is great. This what is it? like a reunion from the 400. In there. <laughs> yeah. Captain Ridiculous Wits. Obviously, it wouldn't be a show without Captain Ridiculous Wits in the uh, Good YouTube point. chat well, room. Yep. Uh, let me scroll down. Keep scrolling. I'm missing anyone out. And hello to everyone else who's joined us this evening it's nice to see you in there and everyone else who knows me that's essentially what you were saying exactly and on that note quickly before we start the show i'm going to say hello a special hello to a certain person who uh, who came and met me at the end of a gig last weekend and uh, the chap in question mike is one of our listeners he listens to the audio podcast and uh, he came over and uh, and had a chat with me last weekend at the end of the wedding that I'd done. He'd been, he was a guest at the wedding, recognized my voice on the microphone. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he, he came over and said, oh, honestly, it was, it was so bizarre. And I, honestly, we had a really good chat. We were chatting for over, well over an hour at the end of the night. I didn't leave the pub until 1am. Oh, wow. Um, and it was brilliant. So hello to you, Mike. I know you're listening to the show. Very nice to see you last weekend and great to uh, have you on board as a listener as well. So, uh, yeah, it was good, guys. It was nice to uh, to meet up with one of the listeners, albeit at a wedding. So, there we go. Was it his wedding? No, it wasn't. No, oh, right. he, was a guest. <laughs> he was a guest there, but it, oh, okay. it was... It was just so bizarre, but it was great though to uh, to yeah to see to see Mike. So um, hello mm-hmm. to you. Yes, he's a boat builder. He builds boats. He's got a very important job. Very very interesting. <laughs> Alan White says, "If that's not celebrity status, what is?" Did exactly. You, did you have your Delta cap on? Is that why you recognised? No, him? I didn't have my Delta cap. No, I was in full full DJ mode that evening. But uh, okay. I thought it might have been your agent uh, coming up to you at the end of, of the gig for, for his. <laughs> 20% cut or, or whatever. Oh, God, Nev, I hope not. Expensive business, yeah. Anyway, we've got loads to get through on the show. So if all the team are ready, shall we start? Yeah. Ready? Let's mm, do it. No, because everything's frozen. 
Okay, we we're ready now. Let's let it go. Good. Don't panic. Here we go. Right. So do that again, Carlos. Pretend like it never happened. <laughs> so <laughs> as all the team are here, and we've got lots of commercial news to do, shall we go? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the first story this week comes to us from Aero Telegraph, Simple Flying, Reuters.com, and AirInsight.com. And uh, the headline, Lufthansa, they are reactivating their A380s. Kind of sounds weird, isn't it? Reactivating. It's like they're you know, <laughs> going to put some bat- some AAA batteries underneath and sort of power things up. Uh, but uh, Lufthansa are reactivating uh, their Airbus A380s in response to the steep rise in customer demand and the delayed delivery of ordered aircraft. The airline expects to use the long-haul aircraft, which are popular with customers and crews. Mm, don't know about that. I haven't heard that from some people. Uh, again, from summer 2023, the return centers around the delay to the Boeing 777X program, which is unlikely to see deliveries until 2025. Lufthansa placed 14 of its A380s in storage as a result of the COVID pandemic. And six have been sold, and out of the, uh, of the remaining eight of remaining uh, four or five are being poised to return to Lufthansa's Munich hub. So uh, we were chatting actually, weren't we, Matt, last week about the A3. We did do a story about the A380 last week. I don't remember what so, happened last week at all, if I'm honest. Uh, you, were, you were ill, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, obviously with the delays and that with the 777, we were mm-hmm. looking at different types, different obviously with a twin engine, four yeah. engines, all the thing about cost, running the the um, aircraft and that now airbus are um obviously um, finished production of the a380 so they're not being made anymore hmm. but um nev it's kind of it's one of those things because ba have got a handful of 380s and they've had theirs back in service for a while yeah, they've, they, they've, they've got uh, 12 in total um and some of them are still at madrid i think from memory but uh, most of them are back at heathrow now it would be interesting to know i don't know the answer to this what's uh, what load factors the a380 has to run at according to how it's configured obviously for the airline to start you know to, to be profitable on on those routes because if you end up with a situation where you know you you're only filling it you know 60 or 70 percent that's probably on on the margins of what's acceptable but of course the most 380 economy class is quite reasonable i think from what i've heard although i've never flown on a380 yet so um it'll be interesting but these triple seven x delays are a problem now because that's going to affect a number of airlines just at the time where they need to be getting this hardware back in the air um and um I think that the that the problem is going to be it's always the way isn't that you, you've just got this massive delay between when you really want aircraft and when it's actually delivered mm. and sometimes you end up with aircraft which are too big 
for your current requirements, but you might need them in two or three years' time. It's a never-ending problem that the uh, airlines must have, I would imagine. Well, of course, some some of the problem here, Nev, also is because you know people had got airline, you know, airlines had got. Um, you know, new aircraft that were due to be arriving. Obviously, then along came something called a pandemic, um, and so suddenly you've got all the all this equipment essentially, and they're, they're saying, "Oh no, well, we can't take it now because you know we can't afford it, and and everything's all being benched, and we're laying off staff left, right, and centre." I mean, that's a difficult time for the airlines as well, uh, for the for the airline makers as well, isn't it? I suppose because you you want to be like good to the customer because you want them to buy more aircraft from you, but at the same time, if you're not um, you know, if the deal is not going ahead like as planned, I mean, you know, budgets and everything are all set based on when they're going to be receiving what money and all that kind of thing. I mean, that must have had quite an impact on, um, you know, bottom lines and things as well. Well, of course, fuel costs as well are uh, substantial. And even if there are, they're actually using fuel today that they bought a year ago because they obviously hedge fuel. It's probably still quite expensive, and then you mm. start running a four-engine aircraft rather than a two-engine aircraft, um, and you know suddenly the the profit margin starts to become a bit thin, doesn't it? Mm. So, on on that note, why ask the team this? We've talked about it briefly before in previous shows, but what what are your thoughts on why do you think Airbus have never thought of or re-engined the three hundred and eighty with more fuel-efficient engines? To give it that, I mean, is it as? I mean, again, um, Armando might be the better one to try and give us an educated guess on that. But I mean, is it is it something simply like you need the size of those engines in order to be able to to get them off the ground with a full payload and stuff like that? I mean, could it be something as simple as that? Customers is uh, John is saying in our is committed to buying tickets. I suppose as well. Mm, yeah, it would have been so. a. There's been what a bunch of different. You know, factors like you guys are saying, the pandemic obviously is is just an extreme factor in this, but the, the A380, you know, at the time that it was designed, it was designed with the most efficient engines. But even there, as uh, as Peter, you know, often talks about on the show when he's on, there's there's incremental improvements on these engines. So I can only imagine that the A380 has upgrades and has the most efficient, you know, uh, engines that it that it could that that's not to say that they couldn't re-engine it but i mean but what who, are they going who, to who would who would take on that investment right now when they were when they were all make being made into keychain tags so true, uh true. you know I, that's a that's a massive expense to re-engine an airplane or a fleet of airplanes if if you're already not if it's not succeeding anyways and not selling tickets but I mean, I mean, oh. as an aircraft, it, it is definitely succeeding, though, isn't it? If we're if we're using the A380 as an example, because I mean, I think if they were continuing to make them, Emirates would still continue to buy them. I mean, they absolutely love that aircraft. Mm, chicken true. and egg, because they're not being made for a reason. Yeah, true. <laughs> so true. Uh, you know, and another thing that uh, Micah brought up was it takes less ground handling staff to yeah, fly the true. A380 right now. So it's less infrastructure um, to operate an A380 as opposed to, you know, A350 or something like that. But is it long-term though? You know, because of the sheer volume I don't of think people so. you can get. I think this is a stopgap. This is just me like yeah, looking yeah, yeah. into a little crystal ball, but I, I don't think this will <laughs> last. I think a, I think this is just a, a stopgap mm-hmm. right now for the pandemic. And I wish we had an engine engineer 
in the uh, in the in the fold as such because it would be interesting because you know I was looking into to having my um, my transit my foot my transit van engine okay, remapped yeah. having the engine remapped <laughs> no and for for no listen for a couple of hundred quid you can have your engine remapped or an engine remapped but it also not just gives you better brake horsepower performance and torque but they also guarantee you a fuel economy saving on an engine as well so is i wonder whether that's something that can be done with airliners with engines whether there's a software fix that can be done to an engine to enable it to run i think if it was a software fix somebody would have already done it i would have thought mm. i mean and you I should think, tell your they... insurance company uh, carlos if you are thinking of having your <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh luckily um, luckily this isn't a worldwide public pod oh wait no that's no, the main thing indeed yeah, yeah um indeed. you know this reminds me of a funny thing that i learned from navy pilots on the p3 they used to just shut down two engines they take off with four engines right Right. it's got four allison turbo props on it and once they got up at altitude and burned a little bit of gas they would shut down the two outboard engines to save gas and they would just fly around on two engines so maybe the a380 can do that just shut down two as soon as they get in the air (laughs) Well, i suppose once it's up in the air ironically i mean you know it, you know, the cruising altitude doesn't require again, but that I mean, I, I feel like somebody would have already thought of that if that was a viable option. <laughs> I don't, I don't think the safety regulators would love that. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. John, John is saying it's possibly something to do with, um, you know, sort of psych- uh, psychology with the passengers, you know, and them not liking think, the idea of them being <laughs> shut down. You know, I, I've spoken with enough pilots, enough airline pilots that have had engine shutdowns, and I think most. Unless there's like an, uh, like a uh, compressor stall where it starts like pop, 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 or it takes a bird or something like that. Most people don't actually shut, know when that engine is shut down. Ad oh, really? geeks, everybody that listens to this to this show would know, would, would know. immediately yeah, yeah, yeah. be oh, perked yeah, up. Yeah. But most most customers on an airliner, I don't think, would ever know that they were and of course, and like, you know, our, our wonderful listeners, of course, wouldn't wouldn't react to it in any way, shape, or form because they're not silly and would go, "Oh, okay, that's all right. We're just on two engines. We only really need one, so that seems like a sensible thing to do." <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> you know. like you know, in the chat room, Mike is saying it. it they'll, they'll never be as efficient ago, as when a certain uh, British airline uh, was advertising the fact, especially for the A three forty. Uh, where it was uh, saying four le- engines for long haul, suggesting that that was a much safer way of operating than uh, having two engines or three engines. Well, that went mm-hmm. out the window fairly quickly, didn't it, with the uh, ETOPS rules and, and the ability to fly very long distances um, with quite a long distance from your diversion airfields as well. So, um, yeah. Uh, but no, d- two engines is is the way to go. Obviously, with these uh, hyper efficient uh, turbines that they're running at the moment. But um, yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how the A three eighty fares over the next couple of years, and, and what airlines you know uh, bring them back. And there might be a situation where some aircraft become available uh, for lease to other airlines that hadn't thought about using the A three eighty, for example. So, like the high fly thing, of course, they stay. Yeah. We still might see Ryanair 380 in the skies at some point. Uh, you never right. know. Okay. That's a very <laughs> unrealistic target there. Um, what's his name again? Carlos. Dave. Mm. Dave, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, okay. moving on to you, Matt, for the next story. And obviously, it's been yes. a very funny last few mm. weeks in it the UK. Indeed. Yes. 
Yes, and uh, I, I mean, there's no real way to sugarcoat this story. Essentially, uh, never stop me if I'm wrong here, but it looks like the government are going to interfere with the aviation industry, um, which fills well. me with dread and fear, if I'm brutally honest with you. But, uh, you know, we'll soldier on together, everyone. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> several sources on this, Business Travel News Europe, uh, the government website itself, and also Sky News um, uh, that we, we've got here. The UK government unveils its 22-point plan to tackle aviation disruption. Yes, I can hear everybody sighing with fear in their hearts uh, following a stream of negative press. In recent weeks over flight cancellations and staffing issues, the uh, action plan outlines how the government will support the sector through the peak season, including steps to ensure the delivery of a realistic summer schedule and assistance to recruit and train staff. Um, Now, uh, I've put some um, sort of... uh, keynotes if you like together uh in this as there's 22 points here but i've just picked out the ones that were of sort of vague interest to me on this basically uh the first one which sort of kind of makes sense here and i think we've been to be fair we've been talking about this i think over the last few um weeks actually when we've been covering this this story uh and it's from the government's perspective they're saying we and the caa have set out five specific expectations to the industry to deliver a successful summer operation summer schedules must be reviewed to make sure they are deliverable and i know this is something that we've been covering over several weeks isn't it guys because um you do worry that you know people are turning up at the airport and then their flight is being cancelled when it will have been pretty clear to dispatchers and and everything like that probably for a couple of weeks that certain flights are not going to be fulfilled and i think that's where i think that's where you know like the delays at the airport and things have been really exacerbated is the fact that they could have been avoided um, by communicating with the customer better. So this is one of the things that I'm sort of quite keen about on this report. Um, but as I say, the government's meddling always makes me a bit nervous. Everyone from ground handlers to air traffic control must collaborate on resilience planning. Uh, passengers must be promptly informed of their consumer rights when things go wrong and, if necessary, compensation in good time. Now, I think one of the articles that I was reading while I was doing the research for this here, I can't remember, Nev, you might be able to remember, there was one airline that was busy boasting that saying you know if it was five hours obviously that they would start giving you compensation and all that kind of thing but actually in law if i remember correctly it's actually three hours yes there's a lot of um this is all very much you know written into legal requirements Mm. for passenger compensation and all the rest of it um and of course there there are exceptions which are uh circumstances beyond our Mm. control uh, and that covers a whole myriad of things. Mm. Uh, maybe uh, even crew illness in some cases as yeah. well. So if I the mean, first officer hasn't turned up, um, that's, a, that's a possibility. Mm. Uh, also, apparently, it depends on the distance of the flight as well. Depends on um, um, you know what what the the, the the time scale is, if you like. Um, but um, yeah, one thing that did surprise me though, and of course we've heard a lot of stories. There's been a very um, vocal BBC um, correspondent, hasn't there, who's had an awful lot of trouble on flights of late, especially um, at Heathrow, from what I was understanding. Uh, and one of the points that they've come up with is disabled and less mobile passengers must be given assistance they require 
wire. Uh, safety and security must never be compromised, which is an obvious one. There were a few that I also picked out um, that I thought were quite fascinating. Point number nine was that we will uh, launch a new aviation passenger charter, a one-stop guide for passengers, informing them of their rights, responsibilities and what they can reasonably expect of the aviation industry when flying. Now, I mean, I must admit, I must admit, I kind of felt that I, I, I felt like we kind of knew what we were and weren't entitled to. I mean, or is that just because we're slightly more experienced flyers? Maybe I don't know. I think you're being extremely generous there, man. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's it's you also know. written in the fine print of the when you buy and book your ticket. But you know, do you read the terms and conditions? Because no, okay. that's what's God, expected. Who, who reads that? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, perhaps you should. Uh, and and well. <laughs> Okay, so I've lost that point. I'll move on to another one. We have worked uh, with the CAA and industry to publish and promote guidelines for passengers as part of a joint campaign of activity to communicate things that they need to know and do when travelling by air this summer, helping to speed up the processing time uh, and reduce queues and delays. And I I think uh, this one I find quite relevant because I was quite surprised again when researching for this story how many people were arriving at security uh, and then discovering that they needed for example perhaps some countries still require you to have like the covid certificates and proof that you've had three vaccinations and all that kind of thing before you can france especially still here in the you know traveling from the uk to france you are required to prove that you've had um at least two jabs within i think it was six months um and if it's outside of that you need to prove that you've had a third booster um although most countries again are sort of moving things uh on may my mic is saying things i need to know like not taking on carry on in an emergency evacuation uh, indeed yes did you did you just memorize all of those covid requirements because i didn't even know i'm going to to the airport when you dropped me off <laughs> No, I didn't. Um, but <laughs> no is the short answer. Uh, mind you, uh, that's how you found out you couldn't check in. <laughs> I mean, I was contributing to these delays we're talking about. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, as an American, I thought this whole thing was over. And sure enough, there, <laughs> there the, I was, there not able to check in. <laughs> yeah, frantically trying to get a COVID, COVID uh, test at short notice. Uh, they've also written to uh, the airlines to remind them of their legal responsibilities in providing information care and assistance refunds and compensation although i mean i I think again this is one of those it's down to a certain few airlines i think isn't it because as neville mentioned later on i mean you've had a quite a quite a sensible experience shall we say with uh, something very similar um uh they've also changed the law now this was this again i found interesting they've also changed the law so industry has more flexibility to train staff and allow them to deploy staff more quickly and flexible flexibly while maintaining security standards and i think we we did we ran a story um a couple of year, a couple of weeks ago i think wasn't it where we talking about they're reducing um some of the hoops that you have to jump through in order to be able to get um airside some of which i I was a bit nervous about um but um they're temporary for the moment apparently i'm being told in my ears Uh, they're also launching a generation aviation campaign working with industry to promote awareness of aviation careers and increase the number of people applying for jobs in the sector i mean that can't be a bad thing can it uh and they're also working with the caa to launch a seven hundred thousand pound skills funding competition this autumn to support outreach across the sector and raise awareness of aviation careers to young people 
people, uh, something that we've been championing on this podcast um, for many, many years. And they've also introduced the Airport and Ground Operations Support Scheme, AGOS, uh, to support commercial uh, airports and ground operation, operations with fixed costs through to a £161 million in grants and whilst that sounds like a really nice idea i know a lot of the airlines especially have been quite vocal about the the complete lack of support they got when they needed it where perhaps if they've had more sort and this is the the school of thought this is why like grant chaps has essentially become like the enemy of the aviation industry is because if they'd have had more support um at the time of the 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 covid um outbreak being at its height perhaps they wouldn't have needed to have laid off so much staff um but you know perhaps i'm speaking out of turn there really um but uh also worth mo- noticing that the majority of uk flights continue on time and without disruption and it does seem to only be affect- affecting a handful of um uh uh uh, uh, uh airline companies and the government thinks the issues surrounding the disruption are some passengers have faced disruption which uh also occurred in the aviation sector across europe and globally uh, and they reckon it's been caused by pent-up demand since the lifting of coronavirus everybody's desperate to get out of the country uh basically like you carlos i mean i think that was the first thing you did wasn't it when they lifted the restrictions is go to malta for a weekend (laughs) yes i'd go back again tomorrow as well oh are you what going to no i I would go back oh i see Chance. <laughs> Staff um, shortages are after many workers changed their jobs during the COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of people have uh, sort of walked away from aviation, haven't they, and decided that they don't want anything to do with it, maybe because of the lack of support they got when it did go wrong um, and the time it takes to complete essential background checks and training before an employee can start to work airside. I know they're trying to do bits they can to help um, with that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's all been looked at from the perspective of a passenger. And I don't know, whilst um, Mr. Passenger obviously needs all the support and the guidance that they need, I do worry that that a lot of this is, you know, it's all about the passenger on this one. And I, I still don't feel like the airlines are perhaps getting the support they need to put this problem behind us. Would I be allowed to just say Of course, yes, do. Go, Nev, go, Nev. Um, This is not a political point. I'm just going to say that straight away. Okay, good. However, (laughs) a 22-point plan is too many. It should be five. Yep. And is the 1st of July 2022 the right time to be having a 22-point plan in any case? This should have been worked out months and months February. ago february time the, it should have happened uh, airlines have been telling uh, the transport secretary mm. and the government for a very long time about the difficulties about switching everything back on again mm. they were certainly quick enough to switch it off that was for sure mm. um and what has happened now is that they have got an acute staff shortage across the board in in all skill sets you know flight deck crew cabin crew baggage handling, security, you name it, the whole lot. And uh, if someone's phoning in sick because they've contracted COVID, Mm. then they're not coming in either. And I think it's a ridiculous situation to have this this whole plethora of stuff because what it will mean, I think, personally, is when it all goes wrong in the next couple of months, as it obviously will, (laughs) 
um, then the government will be able to fully blame the airline industry, say, well, we've given you a 22-point plan, you know, um, uh, for all, all the assistance and blah, blah, blah. So I'm really sorry, but the government, and it could have been the government of any colour, actually, yep, yeah, uh, yeah. any denomination, um, have acted way too late here. And bearing in mind the aviation sector has some of the biggest costs uh, mm. in any transport system. And the clock is ticking when that aircraft is sitting on the ground with the engine covers Indeed. on. Indeed. And, and that is, that, that's kind of my, my point there. Um, that's kind of my point there, Nev, though. I mean, this is, this is the thing. This 22-point plan has all been at the perspective of the passenger. Um, very little of these points, other than point, you know, pointing fingers at the aviation industry for not getting going as quickly. I mean, there, there seems to be a lot of sort of like, well, and perhaps I'm reading between the lines here, but I feel like it's almost like the government is saying that, you know, you've let us down by not being ready for this. I think that's their, they're, they're trying to, they're, they've worded it very carefully, the whole thing. Mm. Um, and uh, in in these situations, the blame game does not work in the no. uh, generation that we're living in of social media and all the rest of it. That is a, a non-runner, I'm afraid. Mm. So uh, I feel very sorry for mm. people like uh, John Holland Kay, who's the chief executive of Heathrow Airport, and, and mm. all the other chief execs and people around the world at different airports, because it is just awful for them at the moment Indeed. bearing in mind that these people uh, at the operational level generally speaking uh, the, the people that you know uh, operate the, the baggage systems and the security these people are not paid a, a lot of money no, at not. all no. um, and no. so it's um it's a very difficult situation now mm. i think we'll get over this um but it, it it's going to be a little while and of course it's mm. just come right at the start of the summer here in the uk and europe Indeed. as well isn't it so, so we'll take some comments from the chat room. John's picking out a few for us. We'll start with Lee Davies. He's saying that uh, they had the furlough scheme. They can't blame the government for everything. Airlines and airports needed more foresight also. Yeah, that's... Um... And also in the chat room, Alan White uh, was talking about having people who retired come back to work. And I'll, I'll, I'll speak a little bit to this from, from the American... I gotta stop saying American Airlines. From U.S. Airlines standpoint, mm. um, when I was down at at the Delta Training Center, they did do that. Um, most of the airlines have brought back those. Uh, a lot of the individuals that retired under those uh, either furlough schemes or retirement schemes, early retirement, they are back. They're back instructing. They're back uh, doing ground instruction. They're the simulator instructors, um, especially if they were still current in the in the airplane. Um, and some some kind of thoughts on this. In the like you guys said, the the blame game doesn't really help anybody. No. Um, it's it's I can't believe it's already been two years since this whole thing started. At, at least the pandemic, but but I I guess from my standpoint, we couldn't have known. There was no way when this all started and the world shut down. There was there was no way to know how long it was going to last, what the outcome was going to be. I mean, o- over a million people have died, and and like there. At the time, how do you come up with any kind of scheme that is long lasting? And I, I think everybody was doing. I, I kind of agree with Micah uh, in the chat room. He mentioned that the uh, very quick and perhaps not so well thought out bailouts uh, might have been a little bit of, of jumping the gun. It was an excellent opportunity for here in the U.S. at least for airlines that, um, at least the legacy airlines, to kind of reevaluate 
their expenses and their costs and all that. But, um, but again, you know, there was, there was no way to know that the Monday morning quarterback now here we are two years later and, you know, saying, Hey, these things could have been done differently, but, Mm. but, but as it is right now, the simulators, the airlines are running 24 seven, the instructors are running 24 seven, this bounce back while it's, it's terrible, right? I hate, I hate that, that there's people being delayed. I hate that Nev lost his luggage. And, uh, <laughs> but you know what? It has created a boom in hiring and mm. everyone that has been wanting to be a professional pilot that was, that otherwise had no, uh, no hope, no glimmer of hope. Cause there was no hiring happening that how do you get to these, these flight hours to be qualified to go into a, a legacy or a low cost carrier now look at us. Now everybody that ever has ever wanted to be a pilot in the modern era, right, has has the opportunity to do so at, at in the quickest way possible. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, and then there was one one point in that in that twenty two pint um, government plan. I prefer, I prefer that version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The twenty two pint version is definitely the correct answer there. Yeah, it? that came from the chat room. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I like the the whole advertising for jobs because I wish I would I would see that around here more. <laughs> yeah. um, Charlotte is a huge base for mm. PSA, Piedmont, and American Airlines. I wish I would see more billboards, more advertisements for the those airlines recruiting into um, well paid staff ground handling positions and ground staff positions. Let's fill that airport up because it's mm. a it's a major economic center here in the city of Charlotte. I, I wish there was were some kind of uh, maybe government facilitated effort to to mm. to hire more, right? Because the, the the airport in Charlotte is is a city airport. It's the city of Charlotte. Um, but yeah, let's get people it's aware of those opportunities, those career opportunities. Also, what what was interesting actually? Uh, 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 John popped up a comment. Um, while we were while we were doing that, that was from Captain Crew saying, considering that the logistics industry, air, sea, and land has gone through um, these issues, uh, they've gone through these issues of sudden unexpected demand bouncing back already mid uh, since mid twenty twenty is another story altogether. And I suppose there is there is an argument there, um, perhaps you know where you know commercial um, pilots were able to you know who were all being laid off left right and centre. I suppose you had a, an advantage that way where you could very easily become a cargo pilot if you were rated on the on the 737 um, as an example um, sort of quite interesting I just, I'd just like to finish with um, I'd just like to um, take uh, Alex's point actually and it's a very honest uh, point that he's made here and he says from a personally biased point of view they have known that retirements were coming they retired them early, but they have not contributed to training replacement staff for years, which I think is a very interesting uh, point and a very honest one um, from that. So thank you. It's a safe space here, Alex. Thank you for uh, for chipping in. It's uh, it's. I mean, it's a debate that I think will will go on, and I don't suppose it will be the last time that we come back to this story. Uh, I think. I, I just hope this on. summer is not as bad as they. Um have said it'll be i think honestly it is going to be i think it's going to be as bad as they're saying and possibly worse i think mm. um and, and, I, and i'm all for it i think they need to um be realistic with their schedule yes it means that flying will be more expensive um you know in the short term but 
But uh, yeah, we'll 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 have more on that uh, later on in the show. So Nev, you've got the next story, and uh, this ties in quite nicely with one of your recent experiences. It does, doesn't it? This is from the WalesOnline.co.uk. Uh, it says a college rugby team touring in South Africa have been left with just the clothes on their backs after all their luggage went missing. Uh, the team of thirty players from College Gwent landed in Cape Town on Monday after they flew from Heathrow via Frankfurt with Lufthansa. Uh, however, when they arrived, their suitcases were nowhere to be seen. A concerned parent said some members of the squad, made up of 16- to 18-year-olds, were left training bare-chested in their socks or <laughs> even barefoot. <laughs> Staff at uh, College Gwent uh, took the boys shopping for new clothes while South African teams helped kit them out for their first match in Cape Town. Can I, can I just interject there very briefly, Nev? I mean, my experience of uh, carrying around many a rug t- rugby team, especially late at night, clothes are quite often missing by the end of the night, so I don't think this is going to worry them in any way, shape or form, if, I, if I'm honest. I'm, I'm the last person to criticise uh, the organisers of this, mm. uh, but uh, you can fly, I think, from Heathrow to Cape Town directly. Right. Without going by <laughs> However, uh, there's some operational reasons and maybe some cost reasons why they did it that way as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, luggage. Now, I think with all the flying I've ever done, I've only been mishandled, as it's euphemistically called, um, (laughs) a total of three times, something like that, which is not bad going in, Mm. you know, well... 40 years of flying, I suppose. Um, But, of course, it did happen to us the other Saturday when we were flying flying from Heathrow to Faro in Portugal. Um, And um, I I thought there was something up. The the, the couple of things that happened which were very unusual. Uh, This was a Finnair-operated A321 for BA, and they've they've wet-leased four of these aircraft. Very nice crew, by the way. Really, really nice. Struggling a bit with some of the BA catering business but nonetheless they did a great job and the moment we got on the plane somebody went up uh, came tearing down from the back of the aircraft a passenger that said to the uh, lead uh, flight uh, sorry um, cabin crew uh, lady um, have my bags been loaded on and they looked at it as if to say come on love you know we're just doing the safety and the catering we don't do baggage loading and all the rest of it and sue and i are just laughing about oh what a silly thing (laughs) anyway of course we get to faro and i was i thought there was something up when we left the deck at heathrow because even with probably a reduced uh power takeoff and 210 people on board this uh, a321 it was a very short takeoff run <laughs> right and i'm thinking that's right. a bit quicker than i would have expected for a two and a half hour flight with a um uh, a full passenger load and a full luggage load for someone going for a week or two weeks anyway i i didn't uh, raise the the issue with mrs <laughs> Ned at the time um however as the carousel stopped rotating once we got to faro um about I think there's about 100 people. 100 of us didn't get our luggage, but quite a few people did. So there's oh. obviously some, some weirdness going on there. Um, anyway, um, obviously the problem at Faro is you've got to find out who is um, handling your luggage for you and all the rest of it. And, of course, the, the, 
the company that was handling our luggage is actually the other side of passport control going back. So we've already gone through passport control on the way in to the baggage hall, but because you can't get back to, to talk to the, oh. um, the luggage fellas and ladies. Anyway, one of the most interesting parts of this, and being a sort of a, a reasonably high tech person, I should have twigged this, but I didn't. Um, the some of the staff were saying to passengers, "Well, your your stuff's on the way. It, it's it's in the baggage hall, or it'll be on 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 you know on this flight or that flight." And they're going, "No, it's not. I'm just looking on my phone. It tells me that it's at Heathrow Terminal Three luggage handling area." And they're going, <laughs> "Well, no, 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 it's not. True. It'll be through in a minute." And they go, "No, it won't, because I can tell you can by looking it. at my phone yes. exactly where it is." And of course, they had the Apple Air Air Tag. I oh. thought, what a great idea! So I'd invested. In a, in a couple on Amazon, and they had arrived by the time we got back. Um, and uh, that is a very useful way of seeing what your luggage is doing and whether you're being told the truth. Information. Now, uh, there were a few people on our flight um, that obviously didn't get their baggage, uh, were getting a bit stroppy with the ground handling people. And uh, that is not the way forward, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you. Um, uh, raising voices and wagging fingers mm. um, uh, to somebody whose uh, um, second language is English, probably, or maybe their third language, um, is, is not going to be a reasonable way to handle it. So Sue and I just left uh, after about 45 minutes. It was obvious that the luggage wasn't coming out. Left and went to the hotel. And we got a very nice email from BA the next day saying, very sorry, your luggage is going to be on today's flight. So it's all oh, great we shan't bother going to buy any clothes because things were beginning to to smell a bit frankly um, <laughs> Fragr and, um, fragrant i think is yes, the word. yes but unfortunately it wasn't mm -hmm. on the, that flight either so it was right. two and a half days later uh when it finally arrived at the hotel having said all of that um it was a bit of an adventure and i i know i will irritate hundreds of people when i say this <laughs> I quite like delays and weirdness and stuff going wrong because, A, it means I can spend more time at the airport. B, it means I can do more people watching, uh, looking at them all getting stroppy. Um, and C, it's just, it's just um, an interesting way to see how things work when it, when it starts going wrong. Um, but uh, I've got to say, uh, BA paid for the couple of Ubers we needed to go to the shops to get some uh, clothes. Uh, oh, wow. They've paid for everything that we uh, outlaid. Uh, the money actually isn't at the end of the account yet, but they sent me a very nice letter. Uh, and it was quite a personalised one, I would say. It wasn't a standard letter. Mm. Uh, and they explained that there was mm. baggage handling issues at Heathrow, which I would say I would definitely agree with. Yes, um, yeah. So I've been very fortunate in, in that respect. Um, but I do really realize that if you're going to a wedding or you're going to something where you know you've, you've got stuff in the hold mm. my only advice um the only time i check stuff in really is if i'm going on a long business trip or i'm going on a holiday where i'll need quite a few clothes but just don't check stuff in at the moment um i would say if you can possibly avoid it because that will just be uh the potential for mm. things going wrong and you can get you know probably three three and a half four days worth of clothes in a bag that will be suitable for the uh, overhead bins, I would say. Um, but, uh, yeah, seeing people lose their rag um, is not good, and you're, you're not going to get additional help <laughs> or preferential treatment from the airline staff mm. or, the, or the baggage handling or the uh, ground handling agents if you do that. Um, 
I wouldn't like to be doing that job right now no. uh, for the next couple of months. That's going to be a very challenging mm. situation for them. So just got to say to BA, thanks ever so much for you know helping us out. Um, and I realise that you know all the airlines are having these difficulties and all the ground handling folks as mm. well. And it's it's not a, it's not a great time. That's for sure. No, I think uh, I think that should be point twenty three in the twenty two point oh, plan. No. Is <laughs> make sure you don't check those things that you absolutely need on your trip. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, the, I I actually agree with Nev entirely, and I think I think again, this is the people that listen to this podcast. When we fly, we always kind of have a plan, and we're mm. always flexible in that. You know that aviation is one of those things that just can go wrong. And I think we tend to stay fairly calm. It is amazing. I love, I'm with Nev on this one. I love it when the airport is in chaos (laughs) and I just sit there with like a popcorn and a pint of beer and I just watch people make the most unreasonable requests. And, and, uh, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I totally get where you're both coming from on this, but with with my best friend being cabin crew, when you tell these stories, like parts of me die inside because you're thinking that that poor sod is going to have to deal with these unreason and it's as I say, it's the cabin crew and the and the ground handling staff and the desk agents and all that kind of thing uh, who as you say are having to field these ridiculous demands and you know what will eventually essentially be empty threats by the passengers you know like if you don't get my <laughs> my fl- my bags here by tomorrow then they'll be hell to pay yes, right you know, I think there's you know, probably that. something in the, the terms and conditions about consequential <laughs> loss isn't there uh, yeah you know, exactly. let me let me tell you uh, just a, a really quick story this is this is my own family i'm going to call out my own mother on this so my mom went to cancun this last week uh she was actually there for like 10 days and we're not going to talk about it in the show but this this last weekend um u.s airlines canceled something like 1700 flights over the weekend but it's the weekend before fourth of july or fourth of canada weekend um and uh my mom was in in a queue so she came from cancun up to dallas fort worth on american airlines and they had canceled, I think, 700 flights that day. The, the, the queue to go to customer service, because God bless my mom, she cannot use the app. Like The, the app <laughs> is a foreign concept to her. Um, was, she said was over 200 people. And, and I've seen that here in Charlotte at DFW at all the major hubs where customer service, there's 200 people in the queue and you're going to be there for four and a half hours. Uh, and she is convinced that because she wrote, she raised a stink. Is that a, is that a saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she was like <clears throat> yelling at somebody that they booked her on on a new flight. I'm like, mom, this, no, it's, that's no. absurd. That's the most absurd thing. That computer, if you were to manually book uh, ten thousand passengers, you'd still be sitting in Cancun. Like, not that that's a bad, bad place to sit, but she's she is one of those people. She was convinced that because she was. Uh, up in arms and she was yelling at somebody that that they rebooked her and that's just uninformed she's an uninformed 78 year old traveler i mean i I quantified it just to give my mom a little leeway right because right Mm, okay we're gonna we're gonna move on now armando i think you've got the next story okay this one came from a couple different places in the industry it's from uh uh, simpleflyingindustryupdate.com, seekingalpha.com. Uh, Embraer, the British aircraft manufacturer, has just signed an agreement with Toyota of Brazil 
in order to embrace Toyota's production system, uh, the, its principles, its concepts in industrial operations. So this initiative takes aim at eliminating waste, op, uh, obtaining and maximizing operational efficiency and increasing the value generation for stakeholders. So this initial phase is going to see Toyota Production System, or TPS, uh, specialists immersed in Embraer's daily operations at their main plant in San Jose dos Campos in Sao Paulo. Um, and the TPS specialists are going to devise some improvements for production lines, manufacturing the E-Jet, the E-Jet E2 families, amongst others. So Embraer has already drawn heavily on the principle of Kaizen, which is a Japanese concept of continuous improvement through em employee involvement from the CEO all the way down to the assembly line. In 2020, there were 1,600 Kaizen projects completed, plus close to another 6,000 employee initiatives from Embraer's Good Idea program, which actually the Air Force has too, the U.S. Air Force. Um, those were implemented. And in 2021, in the middle of all this COVID the uh, supply chain distribution, all these delays, uh, Embraer reduced the production time by around 17% and targets a 40% total reduction by the end of 2023. So as you guys know, Toyota, right? One of the world's largest manufacturers, not of just cars, but everything, right? Toyota makes all kinds of, of industrial machines. The, the automotive industry has been at the forefront of, of lean operations and automation and, and robotics with human intervention. And I, when I first read this story, what I first thought about was Boeing's woes with their manufacturing processes, their uh, foreign object debris being found on deliveries of aircraft, right? You are going to eliminate all of this. Plus, I think traditionally, the manufacturing of aircraft and aviation uh, has been very human heavy, but that that also leads to waste and mistakes. So I think learning from the automotive industry on standardized production and, and lean processes is going to be one of these things that we're just talking about right now, right? To to as we're coming out of the pandemic to to uh, help. Aviation, you know, produce in a more lean way. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think. Well, <laughs> one of the problems has been, uh, I think, a lot of people have said actually, with regard to, I mean, the, the Boeing situation as an example. I know we're not talking about that specifically here, but just a, an example. Um, with the acquisition of McDonnell Douglas, things changed a lot. It would have, it would seem. So I, I think um, the major manufacturers are under great pressure to deliver aircraft in a timely manner, and if they can't do it with their own resources, and that they have the ability to partner with others, for example, who do have uh, production efficiency, um, you know, track records that are really good then that's not a bad thing. Um, I suppose the thing to remember, of course, is that, you know, it is all about safety at the end of the day. Uh, that is the number one priority of any uh, aircraft manufacturer. But it's um, it's an interesting angle to see what Embraer are doing here. And I, I, I will be interested to see the, the result of this in, in a few years' time, to see whether it really has helped them. I'm surprised we didn't get here before, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Fair point. Mm. 
Carlos, you got the next story. It's going to be a fun one for us. <laughs> You're going to love this. Yeah, this next story, I found this actually last night. I was reading about this last night, and I checked up on it again today on the actual website. But this is from uh, fselite.net and the Pilot Club. And uh, the uh, Pilot Club launches online flight school. So online flight simulation community, the Pilot Club, has recently announced the launch of their new online flight school. The Pilot Club are an official VATSIM partner and VATSIM authorized training organization and have developed an online school videos, uh, flight school videos and resources combined with practical flight training to align VATSIM P1 training. VATSIM's pilot ratings range from PO, basic member to P4 and air transport pilot license or ATPL. Uh, that seems that seems P1 rating, which is aligned with the real world PPL syllabus covering fu- flight fundamentals and VFR flying. And to be awarded a VATSIM pilot rating, the student pilot must com- must complete a set of training curriculum and pass both written and practical examinations. Uh, the online flight school is free. That's the most important part of this story. Uh, it's all pilot club members, so you just have to join up on their website. And uh, so VATSIM, um, I've used it myself not many times. I tend to just kind of do my own thing. So VATSIM is uh, a system that's used by not just Microsoft Flight Simulator people, but also people who use X-Plane 11 as well. Um, and it's kind of an online, real-world kind of um, platform you can log into with your game while you're running your X-Plane or your Microsoft Flight Sim game, uh, Sim. You can log on to the VATSIM network, and you can have nine times out of ten actual real-world air traffic controllers or pilots actually on there um, based at the um, airports within the Sim uh, giving you real to real time directions, and um, it's it's a very, very big network. There are hundreds of thousands of people who are part of the VATSIM network. Uh, it's also very interesting just to sit there and listen to. Actually, it's very interesting indeed. Um, but this whole flight sim thing, I think, is a fantastic idea because it's obviously it's free, and because they are basing it on you know the real world PPL, you know. You could you could technically do your training on here and um, you know pass that knowledge that you've gained onto the real world when you actually do your you know PPL in real life. It's a it's a great thing. I was reading up online. If you check out the website, um, I'll put the uh, get Matt to put the uh, the link to the to the website on the on the uh, show notes. Um, but they have also on the pilot. Um, the pilot club website if you go on there there are actual meetups online at specific dates and times where you can actually do flight they actually have fly-ins so you can actually have a fly-in to they've got one coming up in july to alaska where you can actually fly in with your piper cub your cessna 150 172 aircraft um there's also one they've got an air show flying as well which is all you know controlled by the VATSIM network and using your your home sim. So it's a great, honestly, great learning tool. I am uh, going to sign up for it. I'm going to give it a go and see how I get on. But um, Armando, have you have you had a chance to have a look at this? Yeah, I've, uh, ex- I'm a huge proponent for using flight simulators, um, especially if you have a – all you need is a simple setup. 
uh, in your home. You don't need the <laughs> throttle quadrant. You don't, you, don't, you don't need Carlos's 737 cockpit. To be honest, all you need is an Xbox controller and a headset and, and flight simulator or X-Plane. But I'm a huge proponent of using simulation, uh, home simulation in all kinds of training, whether it's your PPL. I think PPL, it can be, it can be a little bit misleading or dangerous because a lot of... Um, of doing your private pilot, in my opinion, is is feeling the airplane. It's getting yeah. those stick and rudder skills, but where it's really, really most beneficial, I think, is in your instrument rating. And Alex Robinson in the chat room said that he used VATSIM for his instrument rating, and it helped. Um, for me, it helped with instrument currency and proficient. Well, not currency, but proficiency when I was stationed overseas. Um, I, I'm going to offer up. So VATSIM is a great product. I'm going to offer up a different one, which is called Pilot Edge. Um, pilot Edge. Uh, so there, there's a little bit of difference between the two in that VATSIM is is slightly more recreational, uh, more fun than Pilot Edge. Pilot Edge is actually used by a lot of uh, instrument flight schools and, tra- and training programs uh, because it's a little bit more realistic. So like you were saying, Carlos, VATSIM has a worldwide coverage, I believe. Um, Pilot Edge will focus on specific regions, namely uh, California and the, and the West Coast, where their controllers are just as familiar with that kind of with that with the real airspace as a real controller would be knowing all of the waypoints all the initial approach fixes for instrument approaches um uh so i guess before i before i go on the the other place where it helps out is if you're a professional pilot and you're about to go into a new airplane um sit in a flight simulator or x-plane and go through go through the motions i've actually had uh first officers that i've trained in uh, mostly the pilatus that's our entry-level aircraft into the charter industry and i'll tell them hey go get this set up go get x-plane by this you know the carinado um software pc12 upgrade and then join pilot edge or VATSIM, and it makes them a much more professional proficient pilot but i, I want to give you a little bit of a so Pilot Edge has uh, similar to VATSIM, but being much more instrument oriented, Pilot Edge also has what they call I ratings. Um, and I'll give you a couple examples. So I rating uh, category one. So like your first one is just a, an IFR flight um, for in Southern California using a specific instrument approach. And they tell you like, here's the game plan. Here's the, here's the completion standards. Um, for example, let's see, uh, instrument rating flight number four, I-04, ATC, the controllers pick the destination, you find it, you file it, and you fly the correct route, including any uh, instrument departures and, and arrivals. The They introduce SIDS and STARS. They do full uh, precision approaches, full non-precision approaches. Each one of these is its own rating. And, um, you know, even, even practicing ndb arc approaches, if you want to, if it still exists out there, then you can do that with a, with a real controller on on a uh, simulator and you're flying it in real time so you have to process so it's your choice if you want to fly it in a in a Cessna 172 if you want to fly it in a caravan or you want to go full Carlos and fly it in a 737 you're the one that's going to have to deal with the speed of things as they go along and be able to set up and fly the approach correctly or at least fly the route correctly um, so these it, it's just such such a great resource if you're uh, a young pilot or even an old pilot getting back into it and, and you have the the tech ability to to you know set up a flight simulator the the ultimate would be virtual reality if you've got a um yeah microsoft not flight simulator i don't think that's vr ready right now but um x-plane 
with uh, VR goggles that it's a completely immersive experience. And that would be the, the ultimate with, without having to have all the peripheral controls that, that Carlos and I have. <laughs> Just a couple of points. Richard Adams has said in the chat room, something that's actually very true. So he's saying that if he's found that real life scenery add-ons are helpful for getting the feel of airfield orientation when going in somewhere new, uh, real arrival then seem more familiar. That's very true. I downloaded these, the East of England, Southern and the Central uh, England pack for X Plane Eleven, and flying into London City Airport with with the correct um, scenery package makes it mm. a completely different approach into London City, and you, you actually have to fly the aircraft. Um, also, X Plane Twelve is literally just around the corner um, from being. I think it's being released in beta version or beta ver- uh, first. I think so, yeah. Um, and yeah, they, I did. They, I did that exact same thing. Just uh, as much flying, real world flying as I've been doing. I sat in a simulator because I had a flight uh, last oof, Saturday. I think it was. Uh, Google it, everybody. It the airport designator is November thirty, November three zero. Tiny little airstrip, twenty six hundred feet. Zero. Yeah, it's in the middle of the mountains in Pennsylvania, and it was an airfield that just based on my flight planning, I said, well, this is, we're only going to go in there and pick up these passengers. If it's, you know, clear weather or VFR conditions, but not a lot of room. And I, I sat there on, on uh, X plane in the PC 12 and I, and I chair chair flew it. Is that the right um, grammar? <laughs> I chair flight sure. it. Um, yeah. And, and it helped mm-hmm. a lot going into the actual airfield. Alan is very grateful of this conversation, by the way, if you just take a look at that. He needs to, uh, needs to <laughs> renew his IR before the end of July. Ah, very good. Ah. <laughs> very timely. Very timely. No, I, I, I'd love it. I, I'm very much looking forward to, to X-Plane 12 coming out because it's going to be a Microsoft Flight Sim killer, I personally believe. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, Matt, you've got the next one, and uh, it's sad news for a firm based here in the UK. Yeah, we're not going to go into too much detail because it's all a little bit up in the air, but basically um, we've sort of heard on the on the grapevine, as it were, that the Dorset Aviation... I forgot to change my cat. There we go, sorry. Uh, Dorset Aviation... I remember I'll do this in a minute. Uh, <laughs> Dorset Aviation firm falls into administration. So it's coming from several sources. This one, uh, Dorset Live, the Times.co.uk and the Gazette as well um an 82 year old aviation company based at bournemouth international airport has fallen into an administration aim aviation boasts airbus boeing virgin and emirates among its amongst its impressive customer list according to the times the business went through a pre-pack administration last week and was bought by acs uk another division of avic which means the chinese government will take overall control of the firm reports um uh the uh, business aviation live 
the, the company, which was based in 1940 under the name W. Henshaw and Sons, designs and manufactures cabin interiors for helicopters and planes, including lounges, bars, seats and galleys. It also makes interiors for military aircraft. Um, uh, Altitude has 600 staff and has been owned by the State Controlled Aviation Industry Corporation of China since 2016. Avic paid £155 million for the company at the time. Uh, additional information on this one here. Um, what I just so basically, basically in 2016, the company um, went into uh, no, sorry, going into at the moment, it's going into what they call a pre pack um, arrangement uh, in terms of insolvency. Uh, and that basically means uh, the sale or part of uh, a company's business and or assets is negotiated and agreed before an insolvency practitioner is appointed with, with the relevant documentation uh, being signed and implemented immediately or shortly after the appointment is made. Now, there are some benefits and some sort of, you know, there's some goods and some bad points about that. Uh, from the business perspective, um, uh, business continuity, value protection, job preservation, and reduced costs because you know it's all been agreed, if you like, before the administrator is uh, um, appointed. There are some concerns, however, because there's a lack of transparency, uh, insufficient marketing of the incident, and there is an argument for a conflict of interest. So, um, essentially, uh, ministers have been urged to intervene on this one because there seems to be some. Uh, no nervousness I suppose uh, so Conservative MP Bob Seeley for example is quoted as saying that China wants to know as much about our defence industries as possible uh, we need to be less naive about totalitarian states I mean that's a very very bold statement on uh, their point uh, I mean I don't know perhaps this is not really a, a conversation people are comfortable about having um, but are, are concerns over the security real I mean is is are they are they right on here is is Bob Seeley correct do should we be worried about um, you know takeovers of this nature uh, I'll just say who are we uh, 5g as an example, um, where where yeah, the yeah, uh, yeah. government uh, pulled the relationships uh, with the Chinese over that infrastructure, for example. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a private situation. It's a private firm yeah. that's gone into administration. Um, it, Albeit sad, because it's a... It you know, is, yeah. uh, and if it can legally be bought by somebody else, um, and, you know, there, there's no reason why it couldn't be. I think ministers probably should spend a bit more time on uh, dealing with some of the issues. Uh, a 22-point plan, for example. A 22-point plan or misconduct uh, in a public office. Oh, hello, right... Oh, 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 we've gone political all of a sudden. Oh, ec. oh panic. Do we have to say the word alleged when stuff? I, I, I'm never quite sure. <laughs> no, no, indeed. Yeah, I, as I say, I, I, it's, a, it's a brief story, um, but I've... I just, I just really wanted to sort of mention it because it sort of goes back a little bit uh, to what we were talking about earlier, which was the the concern over governments meddling in the aviation industry, essentially. And um, 
yeah, sad, sad story when when a, a company like this one that's been around for so long as well oh, yeah. uh, has gone into administration. You know, boasting big clients and stuff. I mean, you can't help but wonder, you know, where where it all went wrong, really. <clears throat> to be honest, but um, there we go. Yeah, we'll so move Nev, on. We'll move on. Nev, you've got the next one all about fees. Yes, running an airport is not a cheap. Uh, is it not? Work. No. Oh, I, I've, I've established that. Uh, so we look at aerotime.aero, uh, travelandtourworld.com and rootsonline.com. It says that uh, London's Heathrow Airport is told to cut fees by regulators. Uh, the Civil Aviation Authority released its final <clears throat> proposals for the maximum charges Heathrow will be allowed to uh, access, uh, assess airlines over the next five years. Under the proposals... The average maximum price per passenger that airlines would pay Heathrow would fall from £30.19, uh, which is currently to uh, £26.31 in 2026. When the effects of inflation are removed, this is equivalent to a nearly a 6% reduction every year from 22 to 26, the CAA said. The move to reduce charges is seen as a response to airline protests at the scale of Heathrow's own proposed increase in charges. Uh, the hub had wanted to double the fee it charged airlines. This has sparked fury, of course, from uh, the, the major airlines, including uh, British Airways and Virgin Atlantic, with the CEO of uh, London Heathrow, John Holland Kay, uh, accusing the CAA of failing to understand how much funding is required to operate a major airport. And Clive Ratton, who's the CEO of Business Travel Association, welcomed the CA's proposals, but added that the price reductions don't go far enough. Uh, interested parties will now submit responses to the CAA, and the final ruling is expected uh, in the autumn. Just as a matter of interest, uh, just plucking some figures from uh, some various sources online, uh, Heathrow's um, operating costs or the financial statistics and the operating costs in uh, 2018 were £1.87 billion, pounds, and in 2019 were £1.92 billion. Pounds. Um, and huh? I would imagine that's going to go up uh, year on year, I would imagine. Um, so how, how do airports make money? I mean, apart from you know the landing fees and, and all the rest of it, you, you would imagine. But, of course, the real estate of airports... Uh, they normally have a couple of runways and some infrastructure, but it's all about the shopping experience mm. for the most part, isn't it? And, and the retail part of it. That's a big part of um, uh, the airlines, sorry, the airport's income, I would imagine. And, that, and those leases are big money. I mean, yep. they're not they're not cheap, are they? They're, they're you know they they're mega mega bucks for you know if if Weatherspoons want to put put a two floor um, Weatherspoons in. I mean that is that is a you know other companies. Having said all of that, I. I, I don't the the clothing shops, for example. Now, obviously, I don't frequent frequent these very much, as you can tell by um, how I'm dressed today. Yeah, you, um, you're not but, you're not a regular visitor to Prime Army then, or anything. No, like that. no. no. Right. But I was just thinking about the number of people that I see clothes shopping in airports. It's not very many. People are normally in the restaurants and bars and. Mm. You know that those kind of things, all the luggage areas, or or the places to pick up a, um, a a mains transformer or a plug adapter or something like that. Um, so, yeah, um, interesting. But know that they, you know, they've they've got a hard time. That they, they, it's almost an impossible situation for them balancing the needs of the airport running costs versus what they're going to charge the airlines. And of course, who pays for it in the end? It's you and me, the passenger. True. 
true. Uh, and they're still making profits. I mean, they're, they're big profits they're talking about there. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, but, yeah. But they, they, oh, the they operating have, costs, sorry, yeah. Uh, they, they have to, you know, they've got very large fixed standing operating mm. costs. If you can just imagine the, the whole infrastructure of any airport, actually, mm. um, how much it costs just to turn the lights on in the morning, let alone anything else. Mm. So, yeah. Indeed. Hmm. So, Armando, you have got the next story uh, all about collisions. Yeah, and I think I missed the live recording of APG. I think they may have talked about this, but uh, Captain Nick just released the artwork, which makes me think they actually talked about this one. Um, so this was a, a ETA A330 that still took off. Well, it had already taken off. Uh, it continued its flight after a purported collision with an Air France 777 at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York. This happened on June 17. And specifically, it was a Boeing 777, Air France Boeing 777-200 with a registration code of uh, Foxtrot Gulf Sierra Papa Quebec. It had just arrived from Paris on Air France 8. Uh, and then the 10-year-old ETA Airways Airbus A330-200, uh, this plane was departing for Rome, performing ETA Flight 611. So this was originally uh, reported when the Air France pilot contacted JFK ground controllers and informed them that the uh, uh, he said Alitalia. So this guy does, must not listen to our podcast, um, but Alitalia no longer exists. But he said Alitalia passing behind us hit the aircraft so that the ground controller could call ahead and tell um ETA not to take off. So there was some confusion, which we're about to hear. Uh, Matt is going to play the video from Baz Aviation. Um, there was a little bit of confusion. There was a little bit of language barrier because uh, I think both pilots were were talking about Alitalia and the controller said, are you sure it's Alitalia? Because that's not a thing anymore. Um, and then and then probably the language barrier and what whatever, the, they couldn't figure out where exactly they were parked. I mean, the Air France guy knew where they there were where he was parked, but um, but the tower didn't really know. Anyway, eventually, Air France is told to call the Air uh, JFK tower um, so they could get a hold of the ETA uh, flight to let them know that they may have had some damage. Either way, they chose to uh, continue the flight. So, Matt, uh, let's let's listen to the audio real quick. It's only three minutes long. So it's saying on the caption, an Alitalia uh, transporter Airbus uh, A330-200 was involved in an incident. Airbus 008, Hello, good evening. How can I help you? This is your first time calling me. Yes, this is Air France 008. We are on standard 9, and there is an Alitalia passing behind us that hit our aircraft. Uh, it's right on the train, uh, not to take off. Can you say this again, please? You're saying that the Alitalia aircraft hit you? Where are you? This Alitalia was to take off. Better to come to take off. Okay, where are you? If you copy for the Alitalia, I don't know the, which Alitalia. Okay, where are you, Alitalia? This is Air France 008. We got a damage from an Alitalia passing behind on the nine. Uh, I'm not aware of the pilots uh, where they are uh, damaged the aircraft. Okay, 
Are you sure it was Alitalia? Yes, uh, the good staff uh, told me it was uh, Alitalia. Air France, where are you? We are at the gate number nine. Gate number nine. Air France, zero zero eight. I would like you to call us out, please. Yes, I have all the right as we go on, and uh, for you to stop the takeoff from Alitalia because he has damaged his friend. Air France 008, please call. You ready to copy the phone number? Air France 008, please. Yes, this is area code 718-656. 611 Heavy. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Uh, just to let you know, another uh, aircraft uh, on the ground currently, Air France, said that you hit them or something of that nature while you were taxiing. Did you uh, experience any uh, damage to the aircraft? Negative, sir. Okay, sir. It's uh, 611 Heavy. Just uh, thought I'd ask you just to make sure. Contact New York Departure, please. New York Departure. It's our 611. Ciao. I mean, I can't believe that. <laughs> I can't, I just can't get over how it's just like, yeah, he hit me. Yeah, I'll just carry on then. Yeah, so mm. I, I just, I, I mean, there's so many, there's so many questions in there. The, the bit that's, that's bothering me the most here is like, it's, it's almost like the, the ground handlers weren't taking him seriously for a minute. I mean, how many times was it? I mean, I know nothing about aviation uh, or JFK airport, but I know damn well that he was at Stan 9. I mean, why did not to mention it doesn't really matter how many Alitalia or Ita flights could be taking off at no. that time. And presu- uh, presumably they must have known that they were, you know, they the, they should have been aware that one was taxiing at that moment, for example. But all the, yeah. fo- I, I, I don't know. And again, perhaps I'm being naive here. I mean, all the focus seemed to be on like querying the 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 a you know the, air, france. The air, air france like mm. you know it was only really sort of you know three minutes later well i mean to be honest with you he could have been dispatched in the air with bits yeah. hanging off yeah well you he think what? That, um uh a bit more direct uh conversation would have been better from the air france fellas uh mayday 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 we have been involved in a collision on stand nine or whatever it is right that gets everybody's attention straight away as happened uh at on gf jfk ground a few years ago when a british airways pilot spotted a fire underneath uh one of the engines on an aircraft which was on a stand and that was his opening gambit. And we don't get this, oh, I'll give you a number to call business. That's just ridiculous. That just I mean, seems so these, these are safety critical situations. I, I can't believe that he gave him a phone number either. Yeah. I, that, first of all, you're assuming that the French pilot, one, has their phone on him, yeah. two, has an international plan, which, okay, good yeah. assumption that they may, but yeah. why would you give him a phone number to the tower? Sure, it's going to be a direct, but... Those are critical, like you guys are all saying, those are critical seconds that are passing by. Yeah, yeah. And the the Italian flight was still on the ground. And if uh, on the VAS Aviation video, they received their takeoff clearance based on the timestamps after, wh- while this whole conversation was happening on the ground of, of phone numbers and where are you parked yeah. and this and that. They actually, uh, they actually, 
received a takeoff clearance um, that could have been prevented. So, I mean, what, forgive, forgive my naivety here, Armando, but what was the status? Had had there been a collision and was there any kind of risk to the Alitalia flight? I mean, obviously the Air France one wasn't going anywhere. He was clearly going to be remaining at gate nine for, for the foreseeable future by the sound of it. But uh. Yeah, so so there was a collision just on yeah. on, on July 1st, which is, I think, today, right? Um, is, this, is this first or is this second? It what is the first, yeah, yeah. Yep, so the NTSB uh, reported that there was... In fact, a collision between the A330 and the Air France 777. Um, this happened at night. And there, there's so much that, that is confusing here, right? So obviously, it's it's possible that they maybe just clipped one of the carbon fiber wingtips out there and that the uh, Italian flight didn't know it. They, couldn't, they can't see that far out onto with the wing at night. Um, I don't know. I think I think most airplanes you can see. You can look out the window and, and see all the way out to the wingtip because uh, that's why they paint them because they're branded. So uh, there was another really quirky point in that from FlightAware, the Italian A330 was waiting for takeoff for over 30 minutes before it was time for their takeoff. Yet the pilots were only made aware of this after the plane was airborne obviously because the the crazy conversation going on here um there is a possibility that the that the pilots performed an inspection after the incident happened and they said we're good to go that is very unlikely i think any pilot and this is actually kind of surprising to me that after being informed of the damage or potential damage that they continued the flight that's uh you'd have thought the first thing they'd do would stop wouldn't you and you think oh crikey some right okay we better just even if it's just a walk around for goodness sake and just sort of make sure there's nothing all right maybe maybe where they are they can't and they'll have to taxi back and all right there's going to be there's going to be passengers who are annoyed because they aren't now taking off and all that they, kind of thing but they were they were already airborne when they were informed of the collision which what? kind of yeah so that so that kind of in in induces another set of problems as they were probably over their landing weight. So a return would have been involved uh, flying, holding, dumping fuel, coming back to the, to JFK for an inspection. Um, but as a professional pilot, I think most, I think most air crews would do that too. I, I don't know that, that most everyone would truck <laughs> like off across the Atlantic with potential damage to an airplane. Mm. Um, I, you know, yeah, I, you're right in that the French uh, pilot could have been a little bit more clear. Um, I think he was being uh, French, French nice, right? They're they're very polite, <laughs> but I, he could have been more clear in, in saying mm. prevent the Italian flight from taking off or something like that, but. But I mean, uh-huh. as as Nevers quite eloquently put in our little group chat during during this, it's like it's the giving of a telephone number. I mean, forgive my naivety here, but presumably you can radio the tower. Oh sure, that would have been absolutely the most direct way. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> I mean, the ground controller has a direct line to the tower. Right. This is is why I feel like almost the ground handler was like almost didn't believe the story 
Do you know? I mean, it was the whole sort of dismiss. As you say, perhaps there could have been more emergency. And if he'd have said "Mayday, Mayday," as, as Nev said at the, the start of our, our discussion, then maybe that that would have triggered, you know, a more more serious response. Because also, as a as a professional pilot, you wouldn't muck around on the ground and use the words "Mayday, Mayday" unless you meant it. Yeah, and there's a place like JFK has multiple. Air traffic, uh, air traffic, tower frequencies for different runways has multiple ground frequencies for different parts of the airport. Has ramp control frequencies, uh, so I'm I'm not sure. Uh, what I, what I don't know is was Air France talking to a ramp controller, which is a little bit different because that's controlled by an airline, or were they talking to ground control, which is an FAA position? generally sat right next to the the towers right uh controller or the fine the final controller um so a little bit more uh richard adams is asking well actually uh miles high was asking was was the damage on air france identified yeah i think that airplane ended up staying on the ground for three days wow they repaired some things yeah so there there was actual damage to that um uh, aircraft, Richard Adams yeah. is asking about the Italian engineers when that aircraft arrived and, and was it being kept quiet? I think there was a small delay of that tail number, but it was back in the air uh, within within a day, I, I believe. Right. From I mean, it probably, as you say, it probably was just like the tiniest little clip or something like that, and perhaps because he was standing on, but you know, because because the Air France one was stationary and on its stand and all that kind of thing, it probably felt the little clip quite significantly. As well, perhaps if it's you know, as where if the other one is rolling for for getting to to the runway, you know, you've got all sorts of vibrations going on uh, every moment, haven't you? When you when you're taxiing out to the because they're not the smoothest of things, these runways are they? They're not exactly you know perfectly paved tarmac or anything like that. That's uh, that's very ni- very nice of you to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think most professional pilots would have dumped gas and turned around and had the damage inspected. Okay, even right. if there was no damage. Okay, fair enough. Perplexing. Yeah, uh, a very a very odd uh, a very odd thing. I think that's the best way to describe that. A very very odd thing. Hmm. So Nev, you've got the next story, and this airline is trying out some new beds. They are. It's on GateCheck.com. And it says that uh, Air New Zealand has announced a number of cabin upgrades expected to be introduced on its fleet of Boeing 787s from 2024, including bunk beds on some (laughs) of its ultra-long models. The airline has been hard at work developing a series of new products for its various classes based on customer feedback. According to the airline, passengers sought interests like the importance of sleep and need for more comfort and space. Well, we all like that, don't we? Uh, the following changes are expected to be introduced to the 787 fleet from 2024 uh, via new deliveries and retrofits. Uh, the Dash 10s are expected to replace their older 777s. We actually covered this way back on episode uh, 307 a couple of years ago. And since then, there's been over two and a half thousand hours of customer research with 300 different people. 
and everyone's got a different opinion i'm sure um so this is going to be a good question how are they going to do this because they're going to have to make up the revenue somehow aren't they between the lost seats that they would have versus perhaps the increased weight uh, involved um or is it only going to be offered to the premium cabins? Lots of uh, oh, it's going to be premium. Lots of uh, accountants will be getting their calculators out and sucking through their teeth. I would imagine um, <laughs> the prospect of an even higher premium uh, price for the for the tickets. What do you think, guys? I mean, I lo- I love the idea of it. There's there's no two ways about it. I mean, it's um, uh, I mean, I, I think the only thing that makes me nervous is that they're probably not going to be the most roomiest of things. Um, well, you know. I, I, from the, some of the pictures, it looks pretty roomy. But I, I think that where uh, Air New Zealand's going to attack this is, so you can't legally op- occupy the bed for takeoff and landing, but they're going to sell the uh, time slots uh, on the bed for up to four hours. So it's basically. <laughs> Almost like the uh, minute suites concept that's popping up here right. in the U.S., but the uh, you're going to have a time slot during your flight that you can go up and and basically sleep, get a couple hours sleep up to four, and then I'm sure, like Nev is saying, this will be at a premium, <laughs> uh, but somebody will will probably pay for it, expect for especially in the on these really long flights, right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially if you haven't got, for example, you know, again, because they're going to be pitched at a much lower price than business class, for example, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I love Lee Davies. Uh, is it is it Lee, Lee Davies' comment? Hold on. Yeah, Richard Adams. Sorry, Richard Adams' comment in the chat room. Uh, he says, looks like a morgue. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely lit, though. It's a lovely lit morgue. <laughs> or uh, or hot bunking, hot bunking in the, in the Navy. You may just meet a friend. Oh, yeah. That for, for me and you, Matt. That'll be airbeds in economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll take that. Richard Adams says, "I used to fall out of the top bunk on the ground. Imagine the same in terms." <laughs> <laughs> yes, good point. Good point. Well made, as they say. But uh, yeah, so we're going to move this on is, to a fight. This is all great ne- until you get ne- the guy that snores. Neville have hammocks in seat one A between two palm trees. <laughs> That's an idea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think he's on board with that one. Oh, dear. Right, should we move on to the last story then? Yes, the last story, uh, uh, and finally story. Uh, Come to us from ABC News. It's a nice story to finish the commercial news on. Airline captain writes a note to Tooth Fairy for girl who lost her tooth on a plane. I mean, we've all done it. Uh, on a recent flight from New York to South Carolina, a little girl lost a valuable possession. But it wasn't her luggage or a toy. That special something was one of her bottom teeth. Uh, Lena said she hadn't expected her tooth to fall out during the flight, and their flight on June the 17th from New York Green to Greenville, Spartanburg International Airport in Green, South Carolina, a city about 93 miles southwest of Charlotte, North Carolina, was their last flight after a 36-hour delay in New York on their way home from Norway. Uh, she said, we tried to walk back to the aeroplane, but security said it was closed. It was 2 a.m., and Lena said, adding that she was very emotional and crying when she realised what had likely happened. Uh, usually, Lena said she puts her baby teeth under her pillow for the tooth fairy to pick up. But after losing her tooth in the sky this time, she had nothing to leave behind. Uh-oh. So, standing in, the legendary captain himself, 
Captain Josh Dachau, seeing Lena's distress, offered to write a note to the Tooth Fairy himself instead to explain the situation. He put, Dear Tooth Fairy, Lena had a tooth fallout on her flight to Greenville, wrote Dachau, who piloted the flight. Please take this note in place of her tooth. And he signed the note, Captain Josh. Now, I mean, speaking as, you know, like if you're a parent and you've received that note, I mean, that must just feel such a lovely thing to do. To do, do you know what I mean? Because, you know, the, the, the daughter would understandably be very distressed about all that because, you know, it's traumatic enough losing a tooth, never mind uh, losing the, I don't know what the going rate is for um, for for the tooth fairy these days. I mean, it, I mean, it was 20p when I, when I last <laughs> lost a tooth. Um, but <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like a fiver in this house. Is it? Oh my goodness! Wow. Inflation. Okay. But we don't talk politics. No, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so, so yeah. But I, I just think this is such, such a lovely Good thing PR. to do. Isn't Good it? PR. It's absolutely. And it have only yeah. taken a moment or two out of out of that out of the the pilot's day. Um, but to just sort of recognise the situation and you know an authoritarian an authoritative lit- letter to the um, to uh, to send it off to, you know send off is I, I, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Excellent. Uh, just look at the comments in the chat room. The plain tooth. Ah, very good. Very Miles, good. very yes, good, Miles. Yes. So that is where we bring the military segment to a close, and we are going to move commercial, very swiftly on. Commercial. Commercial. Some commercial to a close. <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> Yes. Uh, we're going to move swiftly You'll be upsetting on. Mr. Warning. With, you know? yeah. I know. <laughs> with our caption, it's just for fun. Now, Matt's going to pop it up on the screen. And, uh, and uh, Nev, you're going to give us a quick description of what the picture is this week for caption this. Well, the number two engine appears to... Uh, be, actually, is it a number two engine? It's probably number one engine, isn't it? Number one. Yeah, sorry. Uh, number one engine is uh, full of what looks like the, the top of a, a latte <laughs> uh, coffee. <laughs> And uh, this has given our listeners and viewers uh, immense scope for comments, <laughs> as you can imagine. So, yeah. kicking off this week uh, is James says, ExpressJet is merging with Starbucks to make a new company introducing ExpressoJet coffee lines and their new slogan, let us give you a lift in more ways than one. <laughs> Uh, uh, James also says uh, there has been a very, very high relative humidity today. So for your in-flight entertainment, we have added cream and coffee to the engines. And during takeoff, you will see a lovely cappuccino. Uh, Bob says a pilot shortage leading, leads to baristas being recruited straight from air. <laughs> <laughs> One is quoted as saying making a double shot at half uh, calf. Uh, sorry, half latte with chocolate on top is harder than this fly-by-wire thing. It's <laughs> weird. How did how did Bob know my coffee order? Yeah, <laughs> well, quite. Uh, John, John says a creative Rolls-Royce apprentice takes wide cord blade blending to a whole new level. <laughs> yes, ain't that the truth? And Steve says sustainable aviation fuel trials day three. Jamaican blend. Very good. Jenny says, Jenny from Rome says, Italy, here we come. <laughs> uh, Dari says, hey, Joe, give me, give me the emergency checklist for a cafe macchiato. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Neil, Neil says, a new low costa. Oh, oh, Neil. See what you did there. Uh, I like that one. <laughs> uh, 
And, oh, sorry, uh, our American guy, our American listeners won't get that. It's it's like uh, like uh, well, Dunkin' Donuts. And, oh, it's uh, like Starbucks. Let's be. <laughs> Steve, Steve says that this is how Qantas will operate Project Sunrise and ensure crew wakefulness. One way of dealing with it. Paul says the new uh, the new latte Pacific livery. Oh, dear. Uh, Bill says new CEO catering engine option uh, <laughs> development units. Uh, number one does the coffee. Number two does the biscotti. The biscotti is very important there. I think. Yeah. Oh hell yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. Matt says it's the new Boeing triple seven with Trent eight hundred shot latte. Very good. <laughs> James says it was it was crazy. We were taxing to the gate. Yada yada yada. The engine is dripping creamy frappuccino. Ooh, dear, a bit of a crisis there. Simon says the closest you will ever get to a decent cup of coffee on a plane. Oh. <laughs> and the bill says original flight was canceled. But they put me on the latte flight. <laughs> so they did that. Yeah, uh, very good. Uh, different fine. James. Different James says uh, this Jettuccino is generally electric, eclectic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got some good ones in the chat room. Go on, in, go on and hit us with the chat room. Uh, let's see. Miles High says the high bypass blend, please. <laughs> uh, another one from Miles says Rolls Royce. Orange mocha frappuccino. <laughs> Easy for you to say, apparently. Uh, <laughs> Masus, uh, Masus is saying that would need one large sugar cube. Indeed. Uh, going oh, back yeah. to Mike, do do please look at the screen, Carlos, uh, rather than the the, the chat room. Uh, excuse me, Mike. excuse me. Someone started at the bottom. My main man Mike oh. says I like my coffee very hot. <laughs> oh, Alan is quite funny. And a hark back, actually, Richard Adams is a hark back to one of the stories we ran a few years back. That's one hell of a lot of lucky pennies being thrown in. Oh, mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and sorry, what was the one before, um, John? Sorry, you're really making poor John work for his, uh, for, his li- <laughs> for a living today, aren't you? For his uh, coffee. Yeah, indeed. Uh, he's saying um, uh, ja- Java One. Java One? Is that Java right? A1. Yeah. And Richard Adams is saying, so that's uh, grounds control for you. Grounds control. No? Okay. Oh, Just yeah. me. So Fair don't enough. forget every Wednesday or Thursday, uh, depending on how late I get it to it, on Facebook we put our picture up. So if you check us out on Facebook, don't forget to give us a like and follow us on Facebook and check out our caption this next week. So That's one of the best ones we've had for a while, isn't it? Oh, yeah. it's very good. Uh, so over to Armando for the next part of the show. Yeah, Jonathan Wormer, I'm going to send you a uh, a special video with the third story, which we're officially going to cut because it's going to take <laughs> way too long. So we've, we're only going to bring you two stories this week. Matt, if you're ready, let's hit the button. All right, this first military story is coming to us from thedrive.com. Congress is pushing the Air Force for more EC-37 electronic warfare jets. So this U.S. Air Force could be looking for an important boost to its future aerial EW, electronic warfare capabilities, after members of the U.S. House of Representatives moved 
moved to add $37 billion to the proposed defense budget for fiscal year 2023 this week. This added spending plan includes uh, over $800 million, almost $900 million to acquire four more EC-37B Compass Call electronic warfare jets, which would bring the planned fleet of these airplanes to 14. This would equate to a one-for-one replacement of the current EC-130H Compass Call aircraft. Uh, the House voted 42 to 17 this week to include this proposed $37 billion spending package. Um, now, these new Gulfstream 550, G550-based Compass Call jets are going to offer advantages in speed, endurance, and altitude, and, of course, ease of sustainment over the uh, presenting uh, the present fleet of C-130H-based aircraft, which have been eh, probably around since the early 80s, maybe even late 70s. These new jets will also uh, feature improved electronic warfare capabilities, including a greater standoff range, according to L3 Harris, which is the platform integration provider. Uh, Don't worry, I'm going to explain all of this as soon as I'm done uh, reading. The Let's see, previous iterations of the EC-130 based compass call system have proven their value in combat uh, on multiple occasions, uh, I would argue on hundreds and possibly thousands of occasions over the past two decades. A contingent of these aircraft were continuously forward deployed to the Middle East, where they also supported operations in Afghanistan and Iraq and in the Middle East, or uh, sorry, in East Africa between 2001 and 2021. Uh, EC-138s supported the raid uh, that eventually led to the death of Osama bin Laden in Pakistan in 2011 and also prevented a detonation of an improvised explosive device or an ID, which were lethal in these uh, Middle East conflicts, that would have killed then Major General James Mattis, who eventually became Secretary of Defense. So the AC-37s, no matter how many of them the the Air Force ultimately acquires, do look to uh, be an important component of what the American forces will be able to bring to combat in the next couple of years. Um, They, of course, just one layer of the overall very diverse electronic warfare. Uh, They call it an ecosystem within the U.S. military. So does anybody know what an EC-130 or an EC-37B does? Flies. <laughs> it does. It does do that. Um, so this compass call aircraft has been around for maybe 30 years. The, the compass call name and the compass call mission uh, was traditionally a jamming pro- platform. So it could jam public radios, right? So if you think about in when you're about to invade a country, one of the most, uh, or one of the easiest ways for the government to get information out to their citizens or bad guys would be through their radio. So they had uh, the ability to jam those communications. They had the ability to jam just regular communications. Carlos, are are you guys radio dispatched in your in your uh, logistics warehouse, or is it just all cell phones now? Mm-hmm. No, so it's all it's all cell phones. Yeah. So if, if yeah. you think about you know, major logistics movements such as taxi cabs in London, um, that kind of digital communication, or uh, even our Amazon Prime trucks driving around here, that's all digital communications. If you had the ability to deny service to all of those things, you could, uh, you could, well, applying it to a military, uh, 
standpoint, you could you could basically bring communication within a foreign adversary's military to its knees by just denying it. And that's what this airplane does. Now, in in after 9-11, these airplanes found another mission, which was uh, preventing the detonation of IEDs. As you guys probably know, IEDs were incredibly deadly to uh, all of the coalition forces. Mm-hmm. And I would say the majority of the casualties from the last 20 years conflict happened from uh, IEDs. And this airplane was able to jam the radio waves, um, preventing the, the detonation of those IEDs. So why the Gulfstream? Uh, EC-130s, like I said, have been around since the 80s. Uh, the airplanes have been around since the 80s, just like we were talking about earlier on the show. It's four turboprop engines with a crew of almost 20 people on board. The Gulfstream-based platform, the G550-based platform, uh, can do it much more efficiently, higher, longer, with a crew of four, with a lot more airborne networking and digital communication. Um, so that's why we are replacing these, you know, forty-year-old aircraft with brand new Gulfstreams. Thoughts? That's very, what I thought. It's very gray. <laughs> very gray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is very good. I, I, I mean, you, you've explained it so brilliantly, and I feel terrible because I, I, I'm still, I'm still sat here going, no, no clue. <laughs> ah, I'll come up with a, a different uh, analogy. Okay, uh, Go on then. and we'll we'll talk about it offline. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Fair enough. Yeah. So uh, the next story in the military segment this week uh, will spark interest with many people who have seen the latest Top Gun Maverick film. There is no spoilers, no. <laughs> this, no, uh, no, 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 no spoilers because it's in the, I haven't it's seen in the it yet. <laughs> it's in the trailer. I've, oh, I've, okay. only, I've only seen the film twice. I'm going to go back a third time, though. Uh, Lockheed Martin lifts the lid on Top Gun Dark Star's hypersonic jet concept. Uh, so lauded for its compelling action sequences and exhilarating portrayal of next-gen aerial dogfighting, Top Gun Maverick has quickly become a monumental success at the box office. But the producers couldn't have done it without leveraging uh, the expertise of some of the world's foremost experts in th- all things aerospace, and that includes tapping into the minds of the Lockheed Martin Skunk Works engineers to craft their physics-bending Dark Star hyperjet armor. That was a, such a cool start of the film. Anyway, uh, without wanted to give away any of the plot specifics the dark star aircraft features early in the film as pete maverick mitchell played by tom cruise carries out his duties as a test pilot for the u.s navy the futuristic fighter jet is a draw-dropping introduction to the hyperreal aesthetics of the film but also uh, strikes familiar chord with the aviation enthusiast due to a likeliness or likeness uh, to one of history's most revered aerial vehicles the sr-71 blackbird when looking for some expert assistance in creating the Dark Star aircraft, the film's producers uh, were pointed in the direction of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works Division, responsible for the SR-71, its forthcoming successor, the SR-72, and the U-2 spy plane. This collaboration created a new outlet for expression for Skunk Works' clandestine conceptual designers in the sense that this particular aircraft design was one they could share with the world as a conceptual designer 
Jim explains in the video. Uh, so the division engineers then turned these designs into a full-size prototype aircraft with a structurally sound body and functional cockpit. The producers of the film say they lowered the aircraft a little to make it look sleeker and faster, but praised the mind-blowing design of the cockpit and compelling visuals it helped create in the film's opening sequences. And uh, the video is very awesome indeed, which goes with that um, story. Mm-hmm. We're skipping. We're going to skip the video, aren't we? We'll put the we'll, we'll so, put the yeah. link. Um, I'm a bit worried. Really... I'm a bit worried. We'll get pulled down again if we if we play. But you've, so. you you obviously you've seen the film, Armando, haven't you? Been to see the film? Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. What do you think of the first that that first part of the film? It is a it's stunning aircraft, uh, albeit a. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? I went to see it with Megan, and she was just giving me the look of like, surely this is not real. And I just kind of gave her the side eye of, mm-hmm. and now, <laughs> and now we're seeing that. I love that that Lockheed Martin was was part of the design team for this uh, conceptual air quotes aircraft that they may or may not be working on. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, I thought, it was, I thought it was pretty cool that, that Skunk Works was involved in the movie. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes because the video is from Lockheed Martin, and it does is have it? Uh, okay. Tom Cruise in there. And if you haven't seen the film yet... I've not seen the film. Yeah. Let's go. I've not seen the film yet. Do you want to go and see it? If you want to go and see <laughs> yeah, it, I'll yeah, go and see it again. Yeah, I'll go and see it again. Yeah. I don't care. John, have you seen it yet? No, good. Okay, that's a that's a nice. Yeah, ne- next time you're on a layover, maybe that's what we should go and do. <laughs> right, I'll, um, I'll 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 check I'll check it out and see if uh, if it's still on, Matt. We'll uh, we'll I'll take you and go and see it. Okay, sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. All right, All right guys. Well, listen, we're gonna before we wrap up the show, drum roll, please. Okay, something that we're in incredibly proud to present we've been talking about it for months now by popular demand matt are you ready to put up the picture uh-huh oh I'm, my word I'm here very, we go i'm very scared about this let's <laughs> let's do it so if you're watching the youtube feed you'll get to see the inaugural gray stuff mug for ptuk with mac the Osprey. I'm still waiting for somebody to let me know why we named him Mac. Um, it is a very I thought, you, I thought you named him Mac. I I did name him Mac. But there is a reason Oh, why. I see. Right. I was, <laughs> there is a reason why I came up with that name. Uh, it's very obscure. But uh, it's a lovely mug with Mac the Osprey on there. It says Plain Talking UK. Uh, in between the front and the back, you have the joint UK-US flag, which... Um, I loved, I always wore while I was over there stationed in the UK. Carlos has the hat. I think I still wear it on my, uh, my aerobatic flight suit. I love that, that flag, uh, especially between our, our two countries. And then on the back, it says, I only listen for the gray stuff. So <laughs> the first one's going to go to Nev. <laughs> right. I, I will pay double the price. Yeah. Double the price plus shipping to have the first one sent to Nev. Um, right. Okay. And if we have a template, perhaps we can just send him a a, a, a t-shirt also See, with right. this on there. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, it's going too far now. Yeah. I mean, it'll be a collared. It'll be a collared t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I I see your I see your Nev bounds, and I raise you one Captain Al. 
there you go. <laughs> um, and they can give us a, an honest review oh, no. of uh, no. No, how no, the mug no. drinks. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, um, but there you go. Thank you, John, for putting that together. It's a lovely mug, and so, I can't wait to have one sitting here. Do, on so do I, does that mean I now have to put this on the website now, does it? Yeah. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, I think the picture we've got here will be sufficient for purposes of putting it on the website. So that's... that's uh... Oh, yes. No, I'm aware of that. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry. So I'm being I told... Like the one that, si- the yeah. one-sided conversation that's <laughs> happening on air yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> you, you guys fill in the gaps. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, so, yes... The- <laughs> Yeah, n- nice, nice jugs. Alan White is saying thanks for that. <laughs> Self yeah. Oh, thank you, Mazuz Kareem. Uh, yeah. It is Mach point four five, I think, is the top speed. As in, like Mach point four five. <laughs> As in, not very fast airplanes. Right? Is that why it's called Mac? Have, have I'm still confused. Well, nope, no, it is right, not. Right. But it's just a nice observation. Okay, that, right. That's the top speed of the ops, Osprey okay. is I thought, I thought less we, than half. Uh, Mac as in Mac V? What's that, Mom? What's that? Nope. We'll talk about this on a different episode. I'm sure uh, John oh. is, is how, ready to... Uh, how, how long are we going to drag this out for? <laughs> are we that short on content? No, <laughs> no we're so, not. No, we're indeed. Cut, cut. We've had to cut, 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 cut today. And it's a, we're, we're about to go over, so we're going to have to start wrapping up. Uh, those those are the mugs, the long-awaited mugs. They are now finally going to be available, hopefully in the next week or so. Hopefully I will try everything I can to get it on the website, ready to order from next week. And... Uh, what we'll probably try and do is get several several together and uh, and sort of send them all out in one hit. So, uh, yes, there we go. Armando's uh, um, I'm very happy. Um, his mugs <laughs> finally exist. Look, look at look at the grin oh. on his face. Look, there he is. He's yeah. beaming with pride. There we go. It uh, can be used for beer as well. Mark is pointing out on the WhatsApp number. <laughs> Alan Alan quite rightly points out the bots also want a mug as well. The bot do they? Lovely. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean that's jugs of a different kind that they're going on about there. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah in- so uh Nev, <laughs> social media links. Uh yes, we we must have those, mustn't we? And uh if you want to get in touch with the show on Facebook, uh Twitter or Instagram, it's uh, just search for Plain Talking UK. Uh our WhatsApp number is +44 Email podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and our website is www.plaintalkinguk.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel and you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us live in the chat room. As Which they've done a marvellous job of this evening, haven't they? Yeah. If you do some shopping and you want to use our Amazon link, we've got that on the website as well. Uh, we get paid a small referral fee if you do your Amazon shopping uh, via our um, website. And you can also become a Patreon as well, as we discussed at the beginning of the show. And finally, on sunday uh carlos and i will be at seething airfield for their uh fly-in featuring yes. a lot of the long easy aircraft the burt rutan designed aircraft and he's got quite a few coming in i think carlos from what uh 
Dan mm. was saying. So, and just looking behind Carlos, if you yes, uh, Carlos, you'll see um, how, what they look like. So um, that will be very interesting. We've got some nice interviews lined up as well. So really looking forward to it. And while we were doing the um, while we were doing the Patreon there, uh, we did actually receive a new Patreon while we were on air. Yes, really thank you, so, Logan. Yeah, so thank you very much to Logan Lynch, who's just become uh, our newest Patreon. Thank you very much. As you probably have a look, there's some great videos from Armando and Carlos already on there, um, some exclusive content. So make sure you take a look at those. The, um, Armando's ones especially are absolutely fascinating. The day in the life of a of a pilot, basically doing what he does for i guess we call it a living is that right yeah <laughs> this is what i do for a passion yeah right yes that'll work yeah yeah that works too uh but, it's a hard but life. yeah indeed indeed uh but we need to wrap up now we are over we do. Time. so that is where we are going to bring episode 417 to a close of the show big thanks to everyone for joining us this evening big thanks to all the team as always and thanks to John as well for uh, putting all the show notes and bits and pieces mm, together absolutely. Uh, this week. Don't forget to tune in next Friday, 7 o'clock, where we will hopefully all be back, all being well. And uh, we might have some good content for you to kick off our seeding day. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I'm oh, looking oh, forward to that. But uh, anyway... Thanks to everyone in the chat room for joining us. Thanks to all our audio downloaders of the show. And that is where we are going to bring the show to a close. So from me here in my home studio, from Matt in the PTUK studio, from Nev in his glorious Buckinghamshire studios, and from Armando in his beautiful mansion studio. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. See you next Friday. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>